Hey there, educational rock stars. Are you feeling overwhelmed with lesson planning for your English language learners? Well, I've got some exciting news for you. Introducing our upcoming free webinar, Simplify Your Approach, Three Time-Saving Routines for ELL Success. Join me for a power-packed 45 minutes that's set to revolutionize your teaching strategy. In this webinar, we'll dive into three practical, easy-to-implement routines that will not only enhance your ELL teaching methods, but also save you hours of planning time. Yes, hours. So whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, these insights are tailored to help everyone make the most of their teaching time. Plus, you'll leave this webinar ready to implement these routines the next day. So mark your calendars for our two upcoming dates. I don't want you to miss this opportunity to transform your ELL lesson planning. To reserve your spot, simply sign up at www.equippingells.com slash routines. Trust me, your future self will thank you for it. I'll see you at the webinar. Teaching ELL students is a privilege and a joy. Is it easy? No way. But with the right support, you can feel empowered to tackle each day with ease and confidence. I'm your host, Beth Boucher, founder of Inspiring Young Learners. With over 10 years of teaching both nationally and internationally, I know what it takes to ensure that your ELL students have what they need to thrive today, tomorrow, and for life. I'm on a mission to empower you to equip your English language learners. Welcome to Equipping ELLs. Let's get to today's episode. Hey there, you're listening to episode 38 of the Equipping ELLs podcast. Assessments are absolutely critical and crucial to guide our lessons and to really have a pulse on how our students are doing. But does anyone else feel like our ELLs students are overassessed without real impact into their education? The assessments, the time we're spending on assessing these students really are not giving us feedback or really practical ways that we can change and shift our lessons to meet their needs right away. Today, we're going to be talking about five different ways that we can authentically assess our ELLs. I want to make the most of the time you have with your students, and I also want to make the most of the time that your students have, that they are not bored with assessments or dreading another assessment or missing out on key learning opportunities because of assessments. So today, let's dive in and talk about different ways to authentically assess our English language learners. So during my classes, when I was getting my master's in ESL and curriculum instruction, one of the classes that I took was on assessments and ELLs. And it really was one of the best classes that I have taken in all of my years of studying. It was a really old book that we used, and I kind of doubted that it was going to be that beneficial from, you know, judging a book by the cover. But I gained so much insight into how to better assess these students authentically and not just assess them to assess them. So sometimes when we think of assessments and we think of ELLs and assessments, immediately we think of 
screeners and language proficiency assessments and access testing and whatever state you're in, those language assessments that you are having to give every year that interrupt your schedule, that interrupt your school year, that interrupt the student's lessons. That's usually what comes to mind when we think of assessments. So let's talk briefly about assessments and how not to over-assess our ELL students, okay? So let's think for one minute of a typical journey of our ELL students. First, they enter the school, and upon registration, if their parents mark that they speak a second language, they are given a screener to decide their proficiency level. Now, let's think about this for a second. This is usually cold test with a teacher or a counselor or a psychologist is how is who ran our test in our in my school that they've never seen before. And for many of our students in a they're in a completely new situation. Can this really provide us with the insight we are looking for? Now, I ran the screener. I ran the kindergarten screeners when I was working in the Chicago area. And so I understand the need to have some sort of benchmark. And yes, many times you could tell if there was a student who was proficient in English and didn't need the services of the ELL support teachers, or you could tell that if they didn't. But at the same time, these were scared little five-year-olds or, you know, newcomers that are maybe in fifth grade, but still brand new to the area, the country, the school. And all of a sudden we sit down in a room and start to ask them questions and start to test them. Let's just think about these processes. Not that we can change all of them, but how can we really see more of what our students can do through assessments rather than just giving the assessment to give the assessment? So let's continue on this journey of our ELL students. So now they have done the screener. The school year begins. And what comes first? More assessments. Now we want to assess them still in their language proficiency development because we know as teachers, as ESL teachers, we want to have a good idea of where they're at, what skills they're able to do. Or maybe we look at their access scores and see where they're at. But then... We also give them typical grade level benchmark assessments that their peers also complete. But they're, see how our students are doubling up. They have to have multiple different assessments at the end of the year, at the beginning of the year to kind of gauge where they're at. And a lot of times we try to do that in the first couple weeks so that we can have that good idea. We can group our students. We could figure out our schedules. I understand it. There is a place and a purpose for it. So I'm not saying that we should remove all assessments, but I really, the whole purpose of today's episode is to really encourage us to think about the assessments we're using and how can we make sure that they are done well, they're done without frustrating our students, and they're really giving us the insight that we are looking for. Now, as the year goes on, they will have weeks of access testing or whatever testing that you do in your state that will disrupt their schedule and disrupt your schedule. And most likely they will participate in state testing, which will again disrupt their schedule. And then not to mention map testing, which is three times a year. And then let's not forget about the different fluency benchmarks and different content assessments that are happening each quarter and more. So how much time is truly left for teaching 
if we are assessing all the time? And is this what our students need? And the truth is we should be assessing all the time. We should constantly be assessing. But if those assessments do not correlate with how we are changing our plans to fit the needs of our students, then really they're just wasting time. Hey teachers, I'm interrupting this episode to ask you a quick question. How different would your life be if you could confidently plan effective and engaging lessons for your yellow students in a fraction of the time? I created my membership equipping ELLs to do just that. When you join, you gain instant access to the exact resources you need, proven and prepped for you, plus a supportive private community of like-minded educators. Join us today at www.equippingells.com. Now back to the episode. Let's dive in and talk about five ways that we can more authentically assess our students so that it goes beyond paper and pencil or just those big state assessment assessments, and really it turns into action. The first way, and sometimes we don't even think of this as an assessment, but it's a really powerful assessment. The first way is to incorporate student portfolios into your groups, into your lessons. Student portfolios can be binders, can be just a collection, a folder of resources of work that the students have done and completed that they feel happy about, that they feel proud of, that they want to highlight, they want to keep that and show off. And you can provide different templates for different student portfolios. You can give them, you know, at the beginning of the year, you can give them a folder and have them decorate the front of it or use binders. But the purpose of a student portfolio and why you can use it as an assessment is because it is a fantastic tool to really get insight into your students and how they feel about their work. And what I recommend is having them, you know, mark it in your calendar right now. At the beginning of the year, decorate your student portfolios a month in, mark it on your calendar and have a student portfolio day where they're going to go through some of the work that they've done already and they are going to sticky note it or post it, the things that they want to highlight, that they want to keep in their student portfolio and showing that expectation of what are some things that go in their student portfolio. The next step is to have them reflect on that, providing some sentence starters of reflections on their work. This is where that assessment piece comes in because you get to clearly see how they feel about the work. And then if it's their best work, that's a great time for you to grab a generic rubric and use an assess or a rubric to assess that piece as well, whatever domain you want to target on that piece that they chose. So maybe they've been writing in their journals every week and they, on your assessment or your student portfolio day, they look back through their portfolio or their, their journals and they mark one of the pages that they want you to copy and they want to put that in their student portfolio. Now, the power behind this is to build that collection from the beginning of the year to the end of the year, because so often our ELL students do not see the incredible progress they are making 
far too often they feel like they are constantly behind and not catching up. And so having a student portfolio where they are choosing themselves, the work that they want to highlight, the work that they're proud of, the work that they've they've accomplished, that they've done well on, and keep it all together in a binder or folder. Think of what that impact is going to have at the end of the year. When first you can see, your team can see, in data meetings you can see, here's where the student was at the beginning of the year, and here's where they are now. That is a powerful assessment tool. I would say highlight at least each of the domains, one activity from each of the domains each month or each quarter. So you have a growing collection of writing samples, of a reading sample, of a speaking sample, and a listening sample. Now, what does that look like? How can you do that? It might be as simple as having them record and then you have that, maybe it's a digital student portfolio that you can store it in a Google Drive folder and keeping all of those things together. Maybe it's a fluency read passage by them that you store in there. Maybe it's a video that you take of them. It doesn't always have to be a piece of paper that they put in their student portfolio. It can be pictures, recordings, a presentation that they've done that you're keeping in there. So sometimes it's nice to have a digital portfolio, or you could try to do both. And that at the front of it, maybe you add in a QR code that links them to the Google Drive folder that you've been saving for them. Okay, but pulling these things and really having the choice, the students giving the choice of what they want in their portfolio helps you to then grade that, assess that with a generic rubric and seeing what are they able to do. Okay, so that's assessment number one. Assessment number two, listening in on peer conversations with sticky notes. Okay, these are really using like formative assessments as a superpower. Formative assessments are an incredible way to unlock so much information about your students that you will not find in a paper and pencil test, that you will not find, you know, just by their response to what you're asking them to do. When you listen in on peer conversations and you take notes on that, you are going to unlock a lot about your students. I encourage you using cooperative learning strategies, using formative assessments every day in your classroom. Use those opportunities. Instead of just getting ready for the next lesson, go sit Listen, don't say anything, just listen in on peer conversations and write it down. Have a place, a centralized place where you keep all of those notes about your students. When I was teaching, I had a clipboard, I had a large note card that had each of my students' names on it, and so I could just flip to that student's name, I would write down whatever observations I had, and once that name, once that note card got full, I would put that note card in their folder. And so it kept these running records on my students that I would have absolutely forgotten if I didn't write it down. Think, for example, if you do even a simple, you're doing a read aloud and you do a think pair share as they are turning and talking, go and listen in on one, two students, listen for those skills that they've been working on, seeing if they can apply it in a peer conversation or seeing if they maybe need a little more support with that. See how getting that insight is going to help you shift your lessons to be able to meet the needs of your students. All right, number three, and I've hit on this a little bit. I'm going to go a little more in depth, but this one is to have generic 
rubrics. And I'm going to share my set of generic rubrics with you in the show notes for free because I want you to have these. And because you can use them to assess anything that your students are doing. Now, these generic rubrics cover listening, speaking, reading, and writing. And what you do is as they are working on an assignment, you can go and use this rubric, whichever domain you want to focus on, to check in on their progress and keep that documentation. Because a lot of times we don't assess listening and we don't assess speaking, but we need to. We want to really check in and and see how are they doing in these areas, especially with listening. Listening directly correlates. Their listening comprehension directly correlates to how strong they're going to be in the other domains. Sometimes it's hard to assess listening, but if you have a simple rubric that you can then go as they're talking to each other or Maybe you're observing a lesson that another teacher is doing with your students in there and you can check in on their listening or maybe you give them a read aloud book that they listen to and then you give them some comprehension questions that go with it. There's a lot of different ways you can assess listening. But the purpose is to have these on hand so that you don't miss out on opportunities to do a quick check-in, to have this documentation of the different domains and to see the progress that they're making or to see areas that they really need some additional help in, okay? So that's why generic rubrics are a huge tool to have on hand because it directly can help you turn it into action. It can help you then plan your lessons to see if you have four or five students who on their writing rubrics are really struggling with writing complex sentences then that would be a great time to shift what you're doing and either whole group do that or small group do that and really have a clear idea. So number three is to use generic rubrics. Number four is to incorporate exit slips or check-ins throughout your lessons. We always want to be helping our students take more responsibility in their learning. And so as often as possible, as often as we can prompt them with questions of reflection, the better that's going to be for them and for you, because then that gives you a glimpse into what's going on in their brain. An exit slip can be so simple. You can have it typed up. You can give them a post-it note. You can just say something that comes at the end of the lesson, you know, write down one new word that you heard today and use it in a sentence, or tell me the definition of this word, or here's the answer, come up with a question for this answer. There's a variety of ways that you can use exit slips, but you're doing some powerful things when you take that five minutes at the end of your class to close out what you've been teaching. You're helping their brain to close this time to really synthesize this information, to respond, and then for you to be able to see quickly, okay, yep, this student understood today's lesson, this student's getting it, all right, this student's really off topic on this, I'm going to check in with the student tomorrow, or maybe these four students really seem to have missed something that I taught today, so I might pull them for a mini group and reteach it in a different way. Again, we want assessments to turn into action. 
And so can you see how having those check-ins, those exit slips, help you to have a really good pulse on your students and have it turn into action? Check-ins are similar to exit slips. They're just, you can use them throughout. So more having some sort of routine set up, thumbs up, thumbs to the side, thumbs down on after you teach a lesson on their understanding. Maybe those who have their thumbs down, you pull them right away and you start whatever activity you're doing with your support so that you're not letting them go independently before they're ready. Creating that classroom culture where they can honestly say, hey, I'm really struggling with this, or I'm confused, I need help, is really powerful for you and for them. Maybe you have little flip cards where they can just keep on their desk a yellow if they need you to come check in with them, or a red if they're really lost. Those are types of routines that are really powerful so that you have a pulse on your students and you can help and come and support them without them all coming up to you <laughs> after you teach a lesson and say, what are we supposed to do? I'm confused. I don't know. This helps it to be placed on the students. They have to take responsibility for it. And then it helps you to quickly scan and see who needs additional support. Last way that you can more authentically assess your students is to use choice boards. And I recommend this, especially for unit assessments or summative assessments after you've done, you know, a topic for a while, give your students choice, okay? When you focus on giving your students a way to respond to what they've been learning in a way that resonates with them, you are going to have much more powerful output than if you just say, okay, here's our test and here's what you have to do. A lot of the students are going to do it because they have to, but they might not really show you all that they've learned during this time, especially with our ELLs. We do not want to limit them from being able to verbally say things. Maybe they record something and show it. Maybe we have them write a poem about something or act something out. Some students would really love to act something out and get to show what they learned through acting. Others, that would not be fun at all. Our our non-ELLs and ELLs. (laughs) It's really letting students have different choices of how they want to showcase what they've learned. And having those expectations, having that rubric and saying, okay, I want this to be make sure that this is covered in the way that you respond. And, you know, this is the expectation of how it should be presented, all these different things. The reason I hit on this is because when I, I think I've told this story previously on the podcast episode, but it is one that has stuck with me because when I was teaching first grade here in Panama, it was at an IB school, an international baccalaureate school. And at IB schools, we do a lot more summative assessments through acting, through role play, through presentations, through research projects, through group work over paper and pencil tests. We really didn't use a lot of paper and pencil tests, which was wonderful because we did a whole two-month study, in-depth study on animal adaptations and their habitats with first graders. And keep in mind that the majority, almost all of my students were second language learners. If I would have given a paper and pencil test and it said, what's the biggest animal? What's the fastest animal? Yes, many of my students probably would have been fine. They would have accomplished it. They would have completed it. They would have been fine. 
but what am I really trying to learn? What do I really want to see? Do I really want to know that these first graders can regurgitate information like what is the biggest land animal? No, I really don't care about that because they can look that up easily and tell me in two seconds what that is. What I wanted to know was if they can take that vocabulary that we had really worked on, words like adaptation, characteristics, habitats, all of these things, and then create something that would help them explain it to me. And so what some of them chose to do, and one boy in particular who he had a lot of different learning disabilities and couldn't read or write very well, but he chose to use clay and and he created his own animal. And what he did was tell me about all the different characteristics it had to protect itself from predators. And he verbally told the entire class about a five-minute presentation all about this animal and how it lived in this habitat. But if it moved to a cold habitat, then it would have to change and adapt in this way in order to survive. And he was using all of these words accurately, perfectly, beautifully. (laughs) And the whole class just sat there in awe of this creation because it was so impressive. And in the end, he felt so proud of his work and his classmates really were so proud of his work and so encouraging to him to see what he was able to produce. So think of the difference because he had that choice. He had that ability to express himself in that way. I was able to see all of these things that he picked up during that unit. And if I would have just given a paper pencil test, he probably wouldn't have done that well. And it really would have shown me nothing besides that he could answer and regurgitate some information. So that's why I want to encourage you, incorporate choice boards, know your students, know which students really like to write about a topic, know which students love to research about a topic and create a poster board about it, know which students would like to work in a small group of kids and create a play about that topic. There's so many ways that we can really assess what our students are doing and make it fun at the same time. And especially when we're thinking of our ELLs, we want them to have all of those different ways to be able to showcase the domains that they are growing in. And so we don't want to limit it to a paper and pencil test. So if we open our eyes, there are assessments and data to be covered, uncovered every time we are with our students. So we should always be assessing, <laughs> but we want to make sure that that is authentic, and that it turns into action. Just a review, as you're going into this school year, I encourage you to set up a place that you record your observations. Like I said, I had a clipboard with note cards. That worked for me. Maybe you do it digitally. Maybe you have an Airtable, or you have just every student has a Google folder, and you take a do- you have a Google Docs in each one that you write notes on. That might work, especially if you're working and co-teaching so that you guys have a combined system that you both can be writing down observations. It's really a powerful way to collaborate that way. So think about what works for you, what works for your teams, what are you trying to accomplish this year with this, but set up that system and see how big of a difference you feel when you really begin to assess and know what your students need from you. All right. Well, thanks for listening today. Make sure that you grab that exclusive freebie of generic rubrics 
so that you can have those printed and ready to use with any activity that you're doing. Thank you for joining me in today's episode. All links and resources mentioned can be found in the show notes. If you're looking for even more support and done-for-you resources created specifically for the needs of ELLs, head to inspiringyounglearners.com. I'll catch you here next week. Until then, take that next step to keep equipping your ELLs.